Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ring of Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. It is Thursday, December 15th, opening night for Avatar, The Way of Water, the biggest movie of the year and the most expensive movie perhaps ever, $350 million, $400 million, depending on how you calculate it. Craig and I have seen it. It's pretty spectacular. No question where they spent the money. And it is arriving as something of a savior for Hollywood, or at least a hopeful savior. Box office is down about 35% from 2019 this year. It's not clear whether it's ever coming back at the level it once was. The expectations for Way of Water from James Cameron himself are that it needs to do about $2 billion in theaters worldwide just to break even and justify the planned Avatar 3, 4, 5, maybe beyond. Our guest today is looking at those numbers very closely. John Landau is Cameron's partner. He's a producer, former studio executive, who teamed with Cameron for 1997's Titanic, which, these numbers are crazy, grossed $1.84 billion in 1998. That was more than double the amount of money that the then record holder, Jurassic Park, had made. So think about that. It not only broke the global box office record, it doubled the movie whose record it broke. People thought that was a fluke. Uh, people, you know, teen girls just loved Leo. Then they topped that with Avatar in 2009, which is the current top grocer at $2.9 billion, almost $3 billion worldwide with all the re-releases and such. That's what's behind these sky-high expectations for the sequel. A lot of pressure, and it's opening day, so we wanted to have Landau on the show today to talk about how that feels, how they made the movie, how he says no to the king of the world, and much more about Avatar The Way of Water. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with John Landau, very successful film producer and the COO of Lightstorm Entertainment. John, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Opening day for your film. What's that feel like for a producer? It feels great. Why do we make movies? We make movies to share them. And we're finally getting to do that. You know, we've been living in isolation and seeing everything and and being very thrilled with what we've been able to create. And today we get to share what, what we're very proud of. 
What's been the most interesting reaction you've had from people? Well, the, the most special reaction I had was when I went to New York two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I screened for Sam, Zoe, Sigourney, and Stephen Lang. It was just sort of us in the room. And, you know, did we live up to the promise we made for them of what we, how they see their characters up on the screen? And to watch them lean in on their seats and laugh and cry. And then when the movie was over, they all hugged. And that made mm. me cry. <laughs> they hadn't seen it? No, no. They'd seen scenes. Right. But, you know, you can only see a movie for the first time once. Mm -hmm. While we showed them parts so they could see where they were going and what their character would look like and stuff, to really experience it, we wanted to wait. We were done. Till we had, you know, Simon Franklin's incredible score. Um, and for them to experience, you know, in, in 3D in the theater. So are you one of those guys who looks at every little studio email and every little nugget of how we're doing in South Korea and are the suburban moms showing up in greater Maryland? Or do you say, call me on Sunday morning, tell me how we did? I'm probably somewhere in between, to be honest. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 I worry about the things that I can do something about. Like what? You know, like, like a marketing campaign, like a trailer, like a one sheet, like, you know, um, com commercials, franchise partnerships, the cut of the movie. Press like this. Press like this. But, right. but okay, the movie's now out. I can't change that. I can't change the weather on the East Coast. I can't right. change events in Europe or, or whatever it is. So, you know, we're a little bit along for the ride at that point. It's got to be nerve wracking. I mean, you guys started production on this five years ago, right? But yes. the writing was in the works long before, before that. that. Uh, it's been a painstaking process. You've gone through the pandemic. You've gone. This movie has outlasted the studio that greenlit it. Fox doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and you know, and here you are. Um, I can't imagine what you what. The, there must be a feeling of catharsis almost. You know, there 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 is there is. But you know what the the burden of responsibility that you wear as a producer. Mm -hmm is also not over when the movie opens on opening day. You know, we're, I always tell people, I'm more concerned, what are we doing third weekend? Yeah. What are we doing fourth weekend? Because that's how these movies, when you do a movie that is at this length, you have to play, you know, for, for, for several weeks. So we wear that burden of responsibility. And then, then we get to worry about, you know, things like home entertainment and ancillary markets for our little child. And it's really not till probably in April that we get to fully put, avatar way of water behind us and just focus on avatar three right i mean that's the interesting thing about this franchise the first one didn't actually open that big but then the second weekend dropped almost nothing right. and then it just played and played and played you know and look we we believe that you know there's a lot there for the to suggest it could do the same type of thing. I and mean, the response I've gotten from people is, you know, I want to see it again. There was so much there. It was, you know, it reminded me of why I go to cinema. These are anecdotally what people are telling me. Um, yeah, the critics said basically the same. And Jim basically told everyone that they can go to the bathroom whenever they want because they're going to see it a second time. <laughs> you know, there, there you go. Look, when, <laughs> you know, but it's funny. You know, people talk about the length of our movie. And I, I like to refer to it as, you know, two hours and 72 minutes. Sure. It sounds much better. It but does. more importantly, you know, from a consumer standpoint, we're the one business that doesn't charge you more for more. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, anywhere else you go, you, you want a bigger hotel room, the more bigger steak, more, you know, <laughs> sit in the front of the plane, more movies, same thing.
Well, but this movie does have to do a number to justify itself and justify the franchise. And I think when you do get over that three hour mark, the late movie screenings are impacted. Do you worry a little bit about that? Well, number one, I, I, I would disagree with you. I don't think the movie needs to do a number to justify itself. I think that the reaction that we've gotten from audiences justifies itself. Well, I'm talking about for the future of the franchise. Jim has basically said it's got to be in the top grossing movies of all time in order to break even. Look, we we wanted to do well, but when you talk about the late night shows, mm -hmm. that paradigm has really shifted in the last 20 years with the multiplexes. Mm -hmm. So no longer are you in a situation where, you know, a movie that's running long has less show times necessarily in a theater. You just spread out across more screens. Sure. And there's no competition. I mean, literally, the rest of Hollywood has bowed down and moved aside for the next, at least until Puss in Boots. But even throughout the holidays, there is not the normal barrage of movies like we normally see. I think that's I think that's true. And I think this weekend, though, also is going to be a big shopping weekend. I think people are still doing their Christmas shopping. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, we really don't hit the peak of the Christmas holiday until next weekend. Sure. Uh, when everybody's off, because there's some schools that are off now, some schools that aren't off till next week. So, um, you know, all of that, I think, bodes well for us. How much are you monitoring what's going on in China? Because I've talked to box office people about this, and I'm writing about this for my Puck newsletter, and it's it's a crapshoot. Nobody seems to know who's going to show up. I mean, there are, what, 750 IMAX screens now in the country, and Jim, I think, said on an interview that you're going to get 60,000 screens in China. Uh, no, but I, I think, no, I think he said that there were 60,000, not that we were getting 60,000. Oh, okay, that there are 60,000 screens. Right, but. Right, right. You know, they're just now lifting their COVID restrictions, and there's a lot of questions about whether people are going to show up. Look, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want people to show up. It, it's out of my control. Right. It really is. What I'm thrilled about, I think, you know, we, going back to, we make a movie that is that is about people. It's not about politics. We're thrilled that we're, we're getting a release in China. Yeah. Um, and China's been important. I made my first trip to China in 1998 for business purposes because we saw the value there we've tried to support you know their technologies their filmmakers um you know all of that so i i think it's great well and this franchise has done so well overseas what was the number in china in the original 270 something it was yes i mean that's and and that was at a time when the penetration of theaters in china was not very large i mean the, there are far more cinemas there now than before so if this if the audiences are there, we could see double or even more out of China. We, we could, but we also have the pandemic, and 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 yeah. they're still dealing with that as other parts of the of the world are. Right. And, and and I understand that. I think you know one 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 never knows. So I mentioned before that this movie outlasted the studio that greenlit at Fox. Um, how has the transition over to Disney been uh, compared to the people that you worked with before? You know, a couple things. One, you know, we started to develop a relationship with Disney before there were even talks of the merger. Oh, with the theme park, with the the Avatar theme. That's right. Jim and I had breakfast um, with with Bob Iger and Tom Staggs um, at Jim Giannopoulos's house. Huh. We, you know, made the decision that they were the people we wanted to be in the theme park business with, and we went on a very long, intimate journey where we were, you know, hands on all the way through. They got to know us. We got to know them. 
And, you know, we're very proud of what was created there. When the decision was made to uh, for the Murdochs to sell, honestly, if they were making that decision, we could not think of a better studio to come into the fold in. Um, you know, they kept people like Steve Asbell, you know, around. They're, they're people uh, that we continue to work with on, on the Fox side that we've known. But we have this whole new uh, machine uh, that really does these movies well, and, and Assad and his team, and have done a phenomenal marketing. Job. Yeah. Do you do you see the difference in the the whole Disney flywheel with the consumer products and the marketing? Do you see that? Well, it's it's really interesting. You know, Fox never had a movie IP that they owned. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, they would they they had X Men movies, but they didn't right. own Marvel. Right. So with Avatar, it was like unique, and we were trying to you know teach them, hey, here's different things. With Disney, we don't have to do that. They have, as you said, all the consumer products. They have the tie-ins with the parks. You know, we we just did you know a, a uh, beautiful video display on their biggest castle in Shanghai of Avatar with music and this. You know, it's that synergy that. that oh, you, and I, trust me, I yeah. saw the frosted flakes or whatever the cereal <laughs> is, and my kids saw the toys at, at Target. Yeah, it, they're 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 doing it. So, why do you think you and Jim? work so well together i mean you know i love him as a filmmaker and as a media personality but let's be honest he's a lot and i don't think that everybody could work with him as long and as successfully as you have why do you guys work well together you know, number one i think neither one of us are afraid of a challenge right mm -hmm. and i think neither one of us you know are are afraid to get into the hard conversation i i tell people everybody has an opinion but you you can't give an opinion to someone like Jim without being able to articulate the reasoning behind the opinion and vice versa. You know, so it, it works because we, we have a communication and we, we now have a shorthand. And I think we've you know developed we, we look at these movies as our children and we look at us as the parents. <laughs> so give us an example of where you guys have disagreed as parents and had to come to some kind of an, an arrangement or an agreement or who convinced whom. First of all, let's be clear. Ultimately, Jim has the final parental say. <laughs> you know, so there's and and I want that in terms of you know dealing with sometimes. Hey, here's a a sequence you know in 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 the film that you know maybe could be adjusted a little bit, and you know Jim doesn't see it that way at first, and you you articulate the reason why, and he sits on it, he thinks about it, and you know and then he comes back, he says, you know, let me show you something. Here here's a moment where I, I found a way to make this work that way, and you know that's good. I think you know. All of us, and I think that he's that same way with everybody. You know, Jim is very collaborative. And people don't realize about Jim. And the reason he's collaborative is because at the end of the day, he knows he's going to be the one making the final decision. So along the way, he can encourage the cast to give input when they're shooting a scene. He can encourage Simon Franklin to, to push what he's doing with music. Because at the end of the day, Jim knows he's going to make the final decision. You don't have to use that. Auga horn that he talked about how people you had to use a horn to get his attention I imagine you get you have a special dialogue now, you know not only do I have a special dialogue but I <laughs> I strategically placed my office right between his office and the stage we were on mm -hmm. so you know, when he'd walk by uh, Jim can I have a minute <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by State Farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I want to talk a little bit about the industry in in general because so many people in town are kind of looking to you guys as the savior of the theatrical business, but you're not the savior. You produced a movie that's probably going to do really well and probably going to lead to uh, a, a bump in revenue for the overall industry for the year. But what should the industry be doing to ensure the health or even the survival of the theatrical experience beyond just having an avatar movie every few years? I think it's a uh, twofold. I think it's uh, maybe threefold filmmakers, distributors, and exhibitors. Mm -hmm. All working together. I think, number one, we need to create a constant stream of movies to the theaters. The theaters cannot survive with a Memorial Day movie, a Thanksgiving movie, and a Christmas movie. And yeah, the number of movies this year is way down from 2019. I'm looking ahead into 2023. It's better, but it's still not up to that standard. And it's not just having movies. It's having movies that people want to see in the theaters that, that warrant going out. So that, and then I think we have to say that we have, we have to embrace what people want to go see. And look, I, I, I believe that there are, you know, lots of movies that people will go see, you know, that, that don't need to be the blockbuster movies, you know, out there. That, that, like what though? I mean, you know, Jim's been critical of the Marvel stuff, but that's I what know, people but, but see. Look, look, look at Michelle Yeoh's movie. That's true. I know everyone says everything everywhere all at once is the example. I mean, Woman King did okay. Uh, there are there are right. There, there are examples. You can't do it when you you, you make caca. You, <laughs> make you can say shit on this podcast. It's okay. Okay, you can't do it when you make shit, right? right? And you got to do it with themes. You know, to me, our industry focuses too much on plot. Mm -hmm. Sit down and have a story meeting. The plot is what you leave at the theater. The theme is what you walk away from the theater with. And that's why people return to it. Why do people listen to music over and over again? Because they get something out of it thematically, emotionally. So when the movies can do that, when a Top Gun can, can, can reach you, Top Gun, it's not about the spectacle. It's about what people feel when they leave that theater. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why people go back. It's true. You know, and then let me, let me go back to the exhibition side. Yeah. And the exhibition side, needs to make sure that in theater experience is special. The seats are comfortable. The concession stand is not, you know, something that you don't enjoy. I, I've said, I have said to people, I've said to exhibition, I've said to the studio, my goal collectively as an industry is to change how people say what happened when they went to the theater, where people no longer say, I saw a movie, but they experienced it. And that that experience starts when someone goes online to buy their tickets, when they go into the concession to buy it, when they go into the theater, change it to say, I experienced the movie. Right. Um, when you're dealing with the studio, it's your job often, people wonder what producers do. And I know that term is very amorphous. Producers can do many different things. Uh, when you're dealing with the studio on a movie of this size, how do you approach the cost issues? Because obviously these movies are extremely expensive and Disney is a very well-funded company. It is not unlimited money and they probably have a perspective on the way things are spent. 
So what are those conversations like? Jim would like this. It's going to be this price. Is that a conversation or is it, this is what the movies cost. We will see you in November. No, it, it's a collaborative all the way through. We, we have daily, weekly conversations with them. Um, look, first of all, when you're going down a path that's never been traveled, you mm-hmm. cannot predict what road, road bumps you're going to hit along the way. And as we hit those road bumps, we we communicate and, and have a dialogue and say, here's what it's like. And not that this is what Jim wants. This is what the story requires. Uh, we We need this water tank. And this water tank is going to cost X dollars. And here's why we need it, because we don't want to do dry for wet. And the reason we don't want to do dry for wet is because it will look like, I can say it, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it won't look authentic. And we want to give the actors the best performances possible. So we need to build a water tank. And here's the cost of the water tank. So again, we're justifying the reasoning behind an expense. I can, I'll go back to Titanic for an example. On Titanic, we had planned to build the ship at a level position and then angle it three degrees, and then angle it six degrees. We got a price tag, even though we had a bid before we started. This was at the Tijuana studio, right? This was at Tijuana, yep. yep. And and they 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 changed their price, and it went up by $700,000. Jim and I and the team, we had conversations, and we eliminated the three-degree angle, and we saved that money. Nobody saw that movie and go, wow, they eliminated an angle, and that's where we have to be the arbiters. That we have to be the arbiters of where is it going to compromise the movie and where is it a compromise that we can make that that an audience, it won't change their re- reaction to the film. So then that begs the question, has Jim made any compromises on this movie? Hundreds. 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 Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's about you know what, what tank size do we do something in? Right. Or, or, you know, we make compromises all, all the time. We make, we make compromises when we're working with the, the visual effects company, you know, where we go, oh, this could be better. And then it's a question of, okay, is that really necessary to put that time and energy into it? Will other people notice it? No, let's do it. Let's let's pull it back. Let's keep it in mind for the next time, you know, but let, let's get through this. So h- hundreds of compromises. Do you think Jim will ever do a non-Avatar movie again? I hope so. You think he will after this whole series is done, or you think he'll do it intermittently, something in between? I, I don't. I don't think it'll necessarily be in between. I think that mm-hmm. there's stuff that we might end up, you know, producing in between. You know, we produced Alita Battle Angel while we were in the middle of production on Avatar. Um, I think Jim uh, has a number of other story ideas that he wants to tell in, in different spaces. So, um, absolutely. How are you going to approach the sequels after this differently based on what you learned on Avatar 2? Um, we'll approach them with, with the same commitment that we had on Avatar 2 to up the bar. But you must have learned stuff. We, 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 we have, and, and uh, we, we've learned a lot of stuff. And What we did after the first movie, I don't know if you heard us talk about this, that we went on a retreat. Oh, yeah. Where we... We're going to do that again. We're mm-hmm. going to do a retreat with all of our department heads and go, okay, what did we learn on two? What can we improve on three? How do we do that? We don't want to sit there and rest on the laurels of our past. We don't want our crew to do that. We want to continue to push ourselves to become better at what we are doing and more efficient at what we're doing. I imagine the cost will come down because you've established a lot of the infrastructure that you need for these movies. Is that in the cards is that on the modeling 
that is absolutely in the modeling. And, and look, let's just say in, in a visual effects bid, um, they give you a bid to create an asset. We need to create Neytiri and it's X dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, that all goes against movie two. Right. Because it's now older Neytiri. It's mom Neytiri. We need to create Loak. When we move into movie three, we don't need to recreate that asset before. If we have scenes that are back at the Metkayina village, which was a huge, immense design standpoint from our side, from a from a, a, a art department standpoint, and from a Weta side, we don't have to redesign that. That exists now, and and though we can, you know, that becomes an asset of our movie that we can use at really no no cost at all. Hmm. Yeah. What was the, what was something that was unexpectedly difficult? Like when you're watching the movie. What what do you look at and be like, wow, I can't believe we did that? It's the intimate human CG character uh, interaction. So like when Sigourney Weaver hugs Spider. When, when Kiri hugs Spider. Mm-hmm. She's there behind him. You see her shadow fall over him. You see her arms come around him. You see her arms impress upon his chest. And mm-hmm. She's not really there. And he's photographed, and she has to live up to that. And we have to create, you know, all that interaction. When when Colonel Quaritch and Spider tries to run out of the room, and he grabs Spider and puts him on the table right. and holds him down with his hand, they weren't really there together. It, it's those type of things. How, how do you do that? I wondered that with the human <laughs> CG interactions like that. Usually, you can tell that's fake. It looks like a crane holding someone up. Well, we, we 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 actually tried to do it with a big person grabbing somebody and throwing them down on the table and and doing it and and we had somebody you know come up behind Spider, um, you know, and actually grab him and hold him and and replace the arms with with you know the Kiri arms and you know. So you hired like super tall dudes to come in and or or, or we put short people on boxes. Yeah, one, one of the two. You know, there there are ways to do it, but I think get a bunch of NBA guys over there in the off season. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. So what's success? I mean, this film, I, I hate to talk in terms of the financials, but unfortunately, because of the track record of you guys, that is how people look at these movies. They look at them as gigantic spectacles that will make billions of dollars. And I think it does come into your head when you're thinking about this franchise. This is the biggest franchise in the world. So, so why, why, why would we be stupid enough to make a sequel to that? I guess that's well, or six of them, <laughs> whatever. But my point is, it, it's not. I mean, obviously, there's a market out there. It was always stupid to me when people were like, "Oh, who wants an Avatar sequel?" It's like, right. are you kidding me? They did a re-release, and it was like seventy-five million dollars of a thirteen-year-old movie that people went to see. And, and by the way, at, at a year and a half ago, the China re-release that did another $70 million. So yeah, that's, it's just, it, it doesn't, it's not a movie that, that everybody obsesses over on Twitter. It's the real world of people that go to see this, this movie. Um, what do you guys see as your biggest challenge now heading into three, four, five? I, I think uh, th- the biggest challenge really is, continuing to deliver movies that stand on their own. One of the things that I like to think about Way of Water, it's a movie that comes to its own emotional resolution and its own story conclusion. Uh, That's our goal with each of these movies. And that's why we wrote all four scripts in advance Mm -hmm. to do exactly that, that that each of these movies uh, can stand on their own. But when looked at as a whole, they're an even larger connected epic saga. All right. Well, congratulations. It's quite an achievement. And uh, I can't imagine 
working as long as you guys have on one thing and then to have it come out and now just put it out there for people to you know consume judge talk about uh it must be an interesting feeling uh, you know look as long as they're talking about it and, and as long as there, there are enough people going to judge it we're, we're down for it all right thank you john landau thanks for coming by have a great holidays All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, you and I are not movie critics, but we have seen Avatar The Way of Water. I got to ask what you thought. Uh, it was like Planet Earth and the most insane action movie you've ever seen had a baby. Yeah, it was basically like spending three hours inside an aquarium. <laughs> yes, and per like picture perfect clarity with unbelievable action sequences. I, yes. I would recommend seeing it. Yeah, no, I, I'm sort of in lockstep with the reviews. I, I liked it a lot. I would definitely recommend it in 3D, IMAX, like I saw. You went to the premiere. Was there anything notable at the premiere? Cameron had COVID, so he wasn't there. Yes, Landau was there and spoke at the premiere. But other mm. than that, no. I actually really enjoyed the 3D experience. I actually didn't love the first 3D experience at the original Avatar, but I think it's much subtler now and they refine the technology and it, it works. Yeah, no, in IMAX 3D, it was amazing. And I would definitely recommend that format. The um, you know it's certainly a long sit. You gotta you gotta be willing to do the three hour plus thing. And I we didn't even have trailers. I can't even imagine with trailers. But um, but it's definitely worth it. So we're gonna do a box office prediction, and this one is super super tough because not only do you know once you get above 150, sort of all bets are off. Nobody really knows. The tracking on this one is somewhere between 150. And 175 for the domestic opening. Now it's opening around the world on the same day, including in China. So depending on how it does in China, which we talked about, it could be a $500 million opening weekend, which would be on par with some of the biggest blockbusters like Spider-Man, No Way Home, and a couple of the others that got there. Um, or it could be a lot less than that. This is a movie that builds and builds and builds, and it will likely play and play and play. So it may not get to this huge number, but I'm going to, let's say if, if going in the middle of that range, let's say the over-under is 162, I'm going to take the over. I, I, I agree with Landau. I think that the slate has been so cleared of other movies. These multiplexes are going to play the shit out of this movie and that it will get to above 162 for the weekend. What number does this movie need to hit globally long-term for it to be considered a success? I think 2 billion is the floor. If it doesn't get to 2 billion, I think they're going to have real hard conversations with Cameron about the cost of these sequels. I don't think they won't happen, but it's going to be an interesting situation for them if they don't get to 2 billion just because when you're looking at a movie that costs this much and the global rollout, I mean all in with all the money they've spent, you know, they're getting up towards a billion dollars on this movie. But it could this movie could do 3, 4 billion dollars, it could do 1.5. We we have literally no idea. So of course I'm out here predicting a number which could blow up in my face. But Can I will I make take you pick an extreme. If you have two if the two options are it's going to make over 3 billion or under 1.5 billion, what are you picking? 3. I I I believe this has been effectively eventized by Disney and globally the demand is there. We've seen it in the re-releases. We've seen it in the you know, the hoopla around this, the critics like the movie. It's in the eighties on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the only thing holding it back is the length, I think. And perhaps, uh, you know, if there is a, there's a avatar fatigue or people don't think the property is cool, but frankly, the fact that you're interested in it, you know, last time the last movie came out, you know, high school, Craig was probably not that into it. Right. 
I was into it. I was 15 or 14 when it came out. But I will say, you know what I think helps this movie is the fact that the- theatrical is kind of dead right now. There is nothing else competing against it. I think people will view this as a reason to go to the theater and they won't be tired of go- have- having gone to the theater all year. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's been a while. And think, look what happened with Spider-Man last December. That movie got to almost $2 billion, Biggest Spider-Man movie ever. And it was exactly the same thing. People were ready. It was the right movie at the right time. And I think this is probably the right movie at the right time. And don't forget the fact that the numbers on the 3D for this movie are huge. I mean, something like 60% of some of the theater chain's pre-release reservations were for the 3D versions, which adds to the box office and makes this movie get a bigger number than a traditional maybe Marvel or another movie would if they're just getting mostly people in 2D. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank John Landau for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. 